Welcome to What Didn't Kill You, where we explore personal and professional stories of adaptation in the face of adversity and the causal relationship between pain and growth. I'm your host, Michael Silverman. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and student of life that is fascinated by how professional missteps, adverse life circumstances, and pain are harnessed by people and organizations to inform future triumphs and bring deeper meaning to their life and work. Join me as we explore the mindsets, philosophies, and narratives of those who embody Friedrich Nietzsche's timeless aphorism, what does not kill me makes me stronger. All right, Carmen, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. Excited to have you here. You just wrote a book, Learning to Fly. I read it. It's awesome. And you're a multiple-time successful entrepreneur in IT uh, consulting and training. You have the wildly popular A-Line Boutique here in Denver, and now you're an author. This is true. It's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, Learning to Fly is, is clearly a book about becoming. Yes. So I'd love to start off by asking you, who is Carmen? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. Um Oh, you know, I am so human. It's, I think I'm just like everyone else. I, I think we're all these beautiful souls that were born and have this and have all these experiences. And then I think some of us get to shed a lot of the crap and shine really bright. And I think that, and I, that is really truly my heart and passion and whole reason for taking 10 years to keep writing and keep editing and keep editing and keep learning the craft of writing so that it could be packaged into something that really could actually take people from maybe point A to point B or point, you know, further along their journey, but actually be worthy of one, a read, and then to have some impact and have some value in their life. So that's so cool. And that's, that's a response by, and, and I, I should mention this is your memoir. That's a response that clearly the Carmen earlier in the book would not have given. Um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> someone who, who judged herself based off of, you know, accomplishments, material world. Yes. Who you knew, yes. who was indebted to you. Yes. Who I could control. Who you could control. Yes. So, What's it like living sort of a, a much in a much different space? And uh, I mean, the the book obviously centers on your journey, but tell me a little bit about what did it take to get to here? Because it's really a, a 180 from the woman you describe early on in the book. Oh, well, thank you. First of all, that feels really good to be seen and and validated. And it really is. I think that's one of the the coolest compliments that I got from someone who I gave a review copy to is she is a hairstylist and she has been a hairstylist for 25 years. And she said, you know, so many people who sit in my chair, sit and tell me stories. And five years later, right, they're divorced and and on to a next chapter in their book. And seven years later, they're telling me the same stories they were telling me seven years earlier, right? With another guy or another partner or another job. It doesn't matter what the right content is. And she's like, and then another 15 years, we're back at it again. She said, you know, I've really in some ways sometimes stopped listening because no one changes. Mm -hmm. No one changes. And she said, I read your book and it was this refreshing realization and reminder 
people can actually change. People can grow up. People can evolve. And I think, yeah, I mean, that's my story. I mean, I was not the woman I was. I mean, I I look at people now and I'm like, oh, you wouldn't have liked me 15 years ago. <laughs> and because I didn't like myself, you know, and, and I'll, you know, kind of in jest, I'll say, well, you know, no, I was exhausting. I was drama. I was, oh, I was, ugh, yuck. <laughs> and all of that, you know, comes obviously from insecurity and from, as you said, well, I, my whole worth as a person was tied up in accomplishments and in grades. And that was beaten into me by my father. And, you know, not to give anything away, but by the end of, you know, the book and by the, by the, in my forties, I finally realized that it wasn't out of a cruelty of him. It was out of honestly, his own philosophy and his own belief that to be happy, you had to be uber successful, right? And you had to be validated by the world and by, and so he was in craziness. He was actually doing the most loving thing he could for me. Right. Mm -hmm. But in essence, all of my worth as a child got valued in my grades and accomplishments. And, and then my mom inadvertently did not preach any of those truths, but she lived it. And I saw this woman who was beautiful and stunning and, you know, could silence a room when she walked in and was always polished and always put together and always articulate. And so I saw modeled for me, right, what I was to become and how I had to be. And the problem was, is that the heart of it, I was like a bull in a china shop. You know, I'm this tomboy girl who's messy and who's a lot of energy and who's, you know, gregarious. And and still to this day, you know, that's one of the things that people around me, you know, are just like, oh, I mean, even my daughter's like, mom. I mean, because I, I break things all the time. I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm uber excitable and, <laughs> and still. And so, and so you, you have this dichotomy of this somewhat polished, like obviously now I'm more mature and more put together, but at the same time, I still have this childlike and it's only gotten stronger as I think I've discovered my own worth and been okay with it now. It's like, yeah, I'm a bull in a china shop sometimes and that's okay because a bull wasn't meant to be anything but a bull. And you <laughs> put her, put him in a china shop and you're going to have broken dishes. So put me in the wrong environment and, you know, and that's just what's going to happen. And it's just par for the course and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back and, and talk about your mom and, and your dad, because I think so much of this book is really about the patterns that, that we receive from parents and, and how they affect us long-term. Oh yes. But I do want to go back to something that, that you mentioned about the conversation you were having with your hairstylist, because I think what's really human about this book is you don't have just one moment of awakening or one moment of enlightenment. I mean, it's you're you're clearly engaged in these same patterns over and over again, or you know, relationships that don't serve you, yes. or behavior that doesn't serve you, and it's a cycle, right? That's very clear and and well written, but it's all incremental, which I think is is super re relatable, right? I mean, it's you know whether you have a meditative practice or or a commitment to personal growth or anything, yeah. right? It's, there's always that element of falling back the, off the wagon, picking yourself up again. And, and quite often, maybe not learning everything you should have from, the, first <laughs> uh, from time. the fall, yeah. right? Um, Absolutely. but I think that's, 
that's anyone who sort of commits to trying to evolve, I think, can relate to that dynamic because it's it's rare that there's just one lightning bolt and you're different, right? It takes that recommitment all Absolutely. the time. I worked really, really hard in writing and in, in trying to obviously write a story with a purpose, right? But at the same time, write something that's captivating and worth reading and people want to read, right? It was interesting to try and pause and bring in the mishaps, right? Bring in the back steps. And yet I wanted to, and I was committed to it because no one, like it doesn't happen with one aha, right? You, it's, we all know the you know, the sayings like two steps forward, one step back or, you know, and it's, it's true. It's really true. And I, I think that it needs to be said and it, it's the only way there's truth in it is that you're going to have some enlightenments, right? And you're going to feel like, wow, I am a more rich person and I am more authentic. And then the next day, you're going to totally slip back into that persona and that fakeness or that, you know, and having to tell someone about accomplishment or something. And you're like, and and you can feel it and you can feel this ickiness and this like, ugh, I don't even like me right now. Right. But yet to pause and to say, okay, why did I do that? You know, what do I need in this? And then, and not to shame yourself and not to beat yourself up and say, okay, wait, okay. I didn't, I'm not that person anymore. But I was again for a second. And, and I mean, very real. The biggest realization I had was I, you know, I, I started this healing at 33, right? And I had 18 months where I traveled and I really sat in me and I got to know me and I, I fell in love with me, right? And I started really understanding who I was at the core level, not my trappings and not my accomplishments. But then, Right. When I'm having my daughter at 37, I thought, you know, I had four years of practice and I felt like I was pretty authentic by that point. Right. I'm pretty grounded and whole. And then I go into back to uber control of my birth plan. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. I've got this. I'm back in control. Right. And I didn't even see it happening. I didn't even see I had slipped back into this scared, based in fear, having to control everything person until I literally ripped myself into almost killed my daughter and myself. Right. And it took, you know, hundreds of stitches and multiple surgeries later and, you know, and bed rest and everything else to kind of wake me up of like, um, hi Carmen, you know, knock, knock, I'm in the universe. Like you're not, you're not in control. Like, and you don't have to be, which is the irony because I tried to manipulate and control for so many years because I thought that was safe, right? That's how I'm going to feel safe. And yet the irony is, is that when I actually wake up, like I did this morning and go, oh, what do I want? And what do I need? Right. And then take in all the magic around me, you know, you end up in this great place that's, yes, there's that. And that's where I love the metaphor of the surfing that, well, it wasn't just metaphor; it's a real life experience. But, um, but you know, if just I constantly think of surfing, right, and that ability, and that that um, the skill and the muscle and the effort that you have to exert to catch the wave, right, and to paddle out and to catch that wave and to paddle to catch the wave. But then, once you do that ability to completely let go and just ride it and 
feel, literally feel the energy under your board. Right. And, and that's one thing that I'm still learning. Like, and I, I say that at the end of the book. I mean, I'm, I by no means want to have anyone listening to this podcast or anyone around me thinking Carmen's got it all figured out because you're going to see me at Aviano coffee tomorrow, you know, maybe mad because uh, you know, ah, like they got my coffee wrong. You know what I mean? And not this angelic, whole centered, you know, perfect woman. Hopefully they'll see that, but they may not, you know, because, and the thing is, is that I'm still practicing, you know, it's still a practice. It's still a practice of waking up in the morning and pausing and meditating or taking that moment to say, you know what? That does sound when my daughter goes, can we take Galaxy or Great Dane for a walk? And that wasn't in the agenda. And I'm like, actually we can, that would be really fun, you know, and going with it and feeling what's around you. And, and I, I almost like, as I'm looking around the room right now, it's almost like sometimes I try and see that magic energy, right. And those connections. And there's, it's fun because it's, there's a huge movement, right? Goop is, you know, I'm totally goopy. I've, I've completely drank the Kool-Aid, right? I love it. And, um, but I love it because it's this balance of science as well, right? And I love when, you know, the series on quantum physics and how they're actually physically measuring, right? This energy. And yet that's, um, what for so long, maybe, in the new age or in the, you know, someone who's maybe not as, as quantitative and scientific, right. But now they're blending those two and it's fun. And so I'm, I practice though every day I, I keep practicing and I wait for the magic to happen and, and then I get excited about it and keep expecting more. That's great. I love that attitude. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the constant sort of recommitment to things and even, even towards the end of the book, you still have those sort of natural stress responses, right? Oh, yes. That are, that are patterns there that it's, I mean, I think it's always interesting to look at how parents affect their children and, mm-hmm. and, um, and how that, how children sort of intuitively learn to cope with the world. There's a, a great Tony Robbins, I don't want to call it a trick, but, but sort of approach that he takes and says, you know, which of your parents, you might've had great relationships with both your parents, but which of your parents was it a little bit harder to get love from? And then, and so you identify which parent was the hardest one to get love from and you say, who did you have to be to get that love? And pretty much universally, right? He, he can drill right into here, essentially the, the patterns that are laid out for you that may not be authentic, but the actions that you're, you've been undertaking essentially since you were a child to be the person that, that parent wanted you to be. And so I was struck by that the first time I heard it. And you can just so clearly see it in your book. You know, you consistently go back to who do I need to be to, to get my father's love? Yes. Yes. And it started with my father and then it went on to multiple men in my life. You know, it's, it's, and that's, that's the truth is that if you don't have that love, right. From your parents and it's not easy to obtain, we are survivists, you know, we're, we're going to survive and we're going to morph and we're going to figure it out, which is brilliant. But yeah, I absolutely did. I had to figure out how to get that from my father. And then I projected that onto everyone else. And that's how I'm going to get it from them too. Until, until I just was exhausted. You know, people are like, wow, you were so brave to sit in your grief and to sit in, sit in everything and to feel everything. I was like, no, I was exhausted. You know, and I would love to say, yes, there's, but really, truly, I can't sit here with you and say, yeah, I just reached this 
epiphany and I was going to be brave. I just literally was exhausted. I was so tired of running and having to constantly be on and be perfect and be enough, right? And from that exhaustion, right, came the just survival instinct again of just, okay, I'm going to sit in this. I'm going to feel everything. And I really did. I really truly thought when I sat down on that floor in that house in Hawaii, I truly thought the next time I wake up, I'm going to do, going to be in a mental institute. I really did. I thought I'm going to be drugged in a mental institute because I'm going to lose my mind. And I didn't, you know, I mean, far from it. I actually woke up to, it's like, it's like that movie that was all in black and white and then went to color, you know, and I just went, there is richness in this world and there's beauty and there's, and there's people all around me. And it's really interesting. I was thinking about that this morning is that, you know, especially with COVID and this pandemic that we're in and this, this upside down world of 2020 that none of us, that's what I, you know, I'm constantly sitting. If anyone would have told me January 10th, right, this is where we're going to be. I would not have believed it. Right. And we all say that, but the thing is, is what's so interesting about this is that when I was 16 and my life was hunky-dory, right? Southern California. I'm cheerleader. I'm, you know, going to this prep school. I think life is just beautiful, right? And then I wake up and my mom's in a grand mal seizure and has a brain tumor and given three months to live, right? And my world flipped, right? And my reaction then when I was 16 to survive was to harden, right? And to just insert survival instinct. And it was to go in and to actually then literally fight the rest of the world and to determine that the whole world was bad and the only thing that was going to good was going to happen was come from me. What's so ironic now is if you look at, and I was pausing this morning, the pandemic. And I mean, if you would have told me <laughs> that my retail stores that I just spent 18 months building out for gray space spaces in, you know, Denver, right? using hundreds of thousands of dollars, more millions from my own money, right? To build these out. I would have thought you're crazy. There's no way that was going to happen. There's no way America's going to shut down, right? That doesn't happen. And yet my response was so different. And the reason, and it was yet the same thing, right? My world was flipped upside down. And yet it was interesting because Instead of blocking out the world, I actually reached out to the world. And what has made it so palatable is that I'm not alone, right? I have this great team. I have this great community. And I also have this beautiful universe that there might be some things going on. But even remember at the beginning of the pandemic when there was pictures of the sky and how clear it was? And there was this we're not saying it's good as a whole, but what are the silver linings, right? What's that beauty? And the earth even was this glorious state, right? And the pictures like from the moon were just uh, breathtaking, right? And so it was interesting because even the universe in the pandemic was supporting me. And it's such a different approach. And I, I'm so curious now going back to my own daughter, who's nine years old, right? And entering fourth grade virtually and everything is how do I help her not have the first response ever, right? And to grow up knowing that she's got a community, she's got friends, she's got the universe, she's got the world, you know, connected and she's not alone. 
and she's never going to be alone, right? And you don't have to fight the world for 30 years and then turn to it. Yeah. But it'll, you know, we'll all can just watch and see how, if that's even possible or um, if she'll end up in therapy like we all did. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it seems like from the book and when you're in business mode, so to speak, it yes. comes a lot easier to be you to be intuitive, to do the uh, the surfing yes. as you uh, as you spoke about, as opposed to the personal relationships that potentially have the ability to harm you in ways other than economically. Yes, yes, yes. It is. It is really interesting because I think since the damage was done from a relationship with my father and, you know, the death of my mother, definitely I was able to somehow very quickly see even listening to my gut in business is what served me. And because it served me, I did it more and I trusted it and it grew and I kept doing it. Right. And so, yeah, when I go into business mode, it was always really easy to, to be not just calculated, but to be intuitive. Mm -hmm. And yet, as soon as I got in a personal relationship, that intuition <laughs> went out the window because I had so much need. Right. I think I had so many wounds and so much baggage and I just was so needy in affirmation and in love that, that any of that any of that intuition and any of that ability to pause and actually say, why am I doing this and what do I need out of it? Completely went out the window. But again, you do things enough times and you get tired. You yeah. get tired of having, you know, the same outcome. And it's nice now that, you know, I don't. And, and I'm, I ask the hard questions or it, from friendships, from platonic friendships, you know, to romantic relationships mm -hmm. and, and all the above. And I hope now also I have an accountability of my daughter watching and trying to model for her, even with her own friends, navigating third and fourth grade, right? And when someone does something and pausing and, and asking yourself, how did that feel? And, and how am I affecting other people, right? Yeah. And if they don't want to be around me, well, would I want to be around myself? Yeah. You know, which is such a simple question. But yet when I ask her sometimes, she's like, no, I was really bossy. And I was like, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, I don't blame your friend for wanting to go home. Like yeah. I would have too, you know. It is interesting though. I, as you read the book, I mean, you've, the dynamics with your father, emotionally abusive, absent for, for much of your life. And then uh, a number of the relationships that you have with men, I think uh, anyone would read this and say, I mean, there are seriously abusive scenarios. There are some, you know, kind of scary sort of sexual harassment scenarios in there. But at no point in the book, really, do you ever take this any kind of victim mentality, right? It's, mm. it's always, I just noticed that it's mm. always about your being an active participant in these, in these dynamics. I think that's, I don't know if that's sort of the entrepreneurial mindset or what have you, but even, even though you're clearly, sort of in these dynamics that aren't serving you, you're also constantly recommitting to how you're an active participant in, in these relationships. I'm curious, has that served you as you've committed to evolving and, and becoming and, and looking for kind of the next, the next chapter or, or a pattern that does serve you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and th thank you. Thank you for both seeing that. Yes, there were 
some horrible extenuating circumstances that are very much coming at me, right? But I think, and I don't know where it was a long, long, long time ago. I listened to something, I read something. I mean, we're talking when I was, you know, in, co- in college about victim mentality mm-hmm. and exactly that and how you're powerless. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute that you've determined something is being done to you, you can't do anything about it. And so I think it was actually from a very practical standpoint of me wanting to still have some power even in it. And the only power I could get was when I paused and I said, you know, what did I do? How, how did I contribute to this? And yet at the same time, honestly, sometimes that totally didn't serve me because I own too much of it. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so it took a while actually to call those people wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And a long time. And I think that, I think that bred out of, you know, I didn't call my father wrong for a long time. Right. Because in fact, many times in the book, you're, you're wrong for something that was just egregious that he did. Yes, absolutely. And that is a pattern of, I mean, any psychologist will tell you that's a pattern of all kids trying to keep their parents, trying to keep a safe world. Right. So their parents have to stay in all positives. Right. And anything that they do that is egregious, that is just horrible, that the child has to take it on is them causing that, mm-hmm. right? So to keep their parents in all positive, to keep that world safe. And so, yeah, I completely took on all of his horrible actions as my own, you know, my problem and my fault. Mm-hmm. And so I think that just continued for a long time and I would own it, but I'd own way too much of it yeah. until the day that you're like, wait a minute, that is wrong. Like <laughs> that is really wrong. And, and, and I think that's where the real power then comes into, cause you stop taking it yeah. and, and you stay enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking this on. And that is, that is coming from you. And I might have contributed in some way, but you took it over the line. Mm-hmm. Or- yeah. I mean, I, I was struck by that a number of times in the book that you, you kind of stop and say, whoa, that's clearly wrong. Right. But you're, you know, it seemed like experiences that you were really navigating alone again, because you, you were going through them at a point where you really hadn't opened up to anybody. It seemed like. No, no. I mean, I think that's the thing is, is that, Oh gosh, there's a great Mumford and Sons song, um, forever. And, um, you know, about, about the pious and what's in the light and the night and the day. And, and it's so interesting because I did, I had so many secrets, right? And in that's where I think the power of friends and the power of community, you know, it started with a therapist that I was safe with to actually say things out loud, but really I didn't become more whole until I had the constant network, right? And it didn't come from family because I just, I had lost so much of my family. And then, you know, it just, but it came from friends. It came from, um, and it came from even work colleagues, you know, to bring back in business. I mean, I, you know, A-line now, I call it my work family, but I mean, it's my family. Like mm-hmm. it is, and it is, it is people who keep me accountable, who call me out on things. You know, I am growing because I have this amazing group around me. Right. And so it's an interesting dynamic how I do, and I still need, you know, I still need those people around me who 
are loving and see me and love me for, you know, and see the beauty in me, just like I see the beauty in them. But at the same time, we'll go, whoa, hey, ow. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> time out. <laughs> time out. <laughs> You're a little much today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's healthy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, you know, to some extent you had that with your mother while she was alive. Did. And I, I think that sort of notion of seeing the, the beauty in the world or really owning it comes mm-hmm. through with a, a few of the descriptions you have of your mother. But, but one passion, one um, passage really struck me where, you know, she's, she's dying from brain cancer and mm-hmm. she's really grateful for the circumstances that she's in. Yes. And I think that's such an interesting outlooks because, you know, I think on one hand, it's really empowering to say life's happening for me, not to me. Right. And go leverage that. But you, you make the, the bridge to because of her religious commitment, yeah. she wasn't prepared to sit with that and own it and ask what it means. So it was just, yes, you're appreciating what's happening to you. But it's because God's doing it as opposed to this is a catalyst for growth. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and it is – I tread very lightly and respectfully. I tread, I tread lightly because I'm respectful of – the reality is, is that that served her – when, you know, she had two little girls, she's 20 something without a college education and like putting herself through night school and, and truly just in survival mode. Right. Mm-hmm. And the church gave her this community and this connection in this black and white world. Yeah. Right. And it gave her some fathering that she never got. Right. And so, but it's interesting because if she was alive today, I could absolutely tell you that she would be sitting and thinking, you know, and not saying, well, let me, let me just ask God what his will is. Yeah. Like she would have that personal accountability to say, what do I want? And how is that going to affect people around me mm-hmm. and what's in me? And maybe, and, and if that connection is there's the divine and there's God in me, and this might be coming from within me, but there is that truly personal accountability that I'm going to sit in this. I'm going to make a decision and then I'm going to reap either the benefit or the consequences of that decision. And I'm not going to blame God or the church or, you know, something external for that. Yeah. And I think that was a big thing that I remember being 17 and her battling cancer. And I mean, going through radiation and th- and chemotherapy and surgery and surgery and against all odds, right? Being a year and a half later or 15 months later and being cancer-free, mm-hmm. right? Because of a CAT scan. And they wouldn't say remission yet because it hadn't been long enough, but she had no, you know, tumors. And they're like, you, you know, you can gain your health and go back to work. And as she started talking about work and, you know, and getting ready I literally remember being 17 and sitting there going, I'm so confused. Why is, what has changed, right? You had this life, you had these ambitions, you live this way and you got a brain tumor, right? You literally fought for the last, I mean, we've all fought, right? And you've gone through these heroic efforts and, and now you're not doing anything different. Mm -hmm. And yet you and I was terrified. I was terrified at 17 going, you're going to be sick again. And yet 
feeling so, so, um, just naive and, and stupid that why isn't anyone else asking this? Why aren't the doctors asking it? Why isn't my mother who's intelligent and has put herself through night school and has, you know, become an executive for JD or software, right? I mean, now a you got by Oracle, but I mean, she was one of the first hundred employees, but, but, but she had, she was this competent, beautiful, successful, intelligent, powerful woman. And she, there was no pause. There was absolutely no pause. And, you know, as I say that even now, you know, and her gone, but I feel like her spirit's here, you know, I think, I think she's proud that, uh, that I am questioning that. Yeah. Because it's real. It's, it's, it, 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 there was no change. And sure enough, you know, another tumor came back. Yep. And that's where I think now, you know, from what we eat to how we respond to stress. And we have so much power. We have so much power as humans and we can be so healthy, but it's not easy. It's not a pill. You know, it's not just reading one book. It's not just going to one therapy session, right? It's doing the work every day. Yeah. That makes a difference. Yeah. And I think, you know, on one hand, it's, it can be so powerful to have the structure of religion when you're going through adversity. Absolutely. On the other hand, if you don't use those adverse circumstances to pause and, and sort of use it as a catalyst for growth, which, right. you know, I think what's, what's interesting is you described that about your mother, but then it took another 17 years for you to, to process <laughs> yes. her death. Right. Yes. So, yes. you know, that makes me wonder like who, who would Carmen be if you grieved your mother when she passed? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Oh my gosh, Michael. That is a really good question. I've never asked that question. That is, that is, wow. That is very, very interesting. I have no idea. I'll have to sit in that because that's, that's a fun, that's a fun question because I think, you know, a lot of the scars and the wounds and the mistakes and the big mistakes, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't obviously be there. Mm -hmm. Right. But at the same time, I wouldn't have this book. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have the story and I wouldn't be able to, I think, understand so many people and their story. Mm -hmm. Um, because, um, because I have, you know, I mean, let's, let's be real for those people who are listening to this and haven't read the book. I mean, it has everything from adultery, affair, like you said, sexual harassment, just, you know, you, you name it, it's, it's in there. And, and, and it's, and it's interesting because there's even more wounds and history, obviously in all of our lives Mm -hmm. then, but I, there's not every, even the depth of everything isn't even in there just because to protect, you know, to protect those who have been in my life. And also it wasn't necessary. And I don't know if I was ready to tell sometimes the depth of some things. And, and so the reality is, is that I wouldn't be where I am today and I couldn't, I think, go from now forward, what I hope to do and, and be the encouragement or the coach next to people, if I would have healed when I was 17 and sat in it. And, um, now, um, there's some people who have lots less damage in their life. (laughs) (laughs) I would not have um, been such a tornado in their life and destructive, um, and in my own life, but, um, but it wasn't my journey, you know? Um, but that's a really, that's a really interesting question that I, um, I'm going to sit in. Well, and I, I think even with the sort of the patterns you, inherited from your father as destructive as they were, you know, you have to ask, would you have accomplished everything that you have in your life if you hadn't have taken that approach for the first 33 years? Yeah. You know, and I sit in that now 
as I'm building companies because I build them very differently now. Right. And so, and for a long time, I really said, you know, without this adversity, I wouldn't have the success, but I do believe, I do believe, I mean, that out of adversity comes greatness, right? And we, every, that's not a revolutionary thing that I'm figuring out. I mean, that's just, I think a truth like gravity, but at the same time, you know, do I think now that I need more adversity in my life to have the greatness? I don't. Right. And so I wrestle with that and I'm, I'm having fun now building a company and trying to, Yes, you make the hard decisions and there are, you know, just, just business decisions, but leading with love mm-hmm. as cheesy as that might sound, but it really is like seeing someone's heart and seeing the humanity in it and not having to close off my heart and humanity when I have to run a business, right? There, because the business is still people. Yeah. And so with compassion, you know, saying things and seeing that heart and, um, and those around me. And so practicing that, but, and I don't, I, I really do. I think I, I'm, I have not resolved that you have to be a egomaniac driven and, and mean person mm-hmm. to be successful. I yeah. just, I just will not, I, I won't go there. And so, but now I'm trying to learn how to be, how to, how to not be that person and, and to have wild success. Cause I still, you know, I'm, I'm not done. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite things to, that I tell women about A-Line and is that, you know, I didn't start A-Line to have a retail store that wasn't, that's not what I get up every morning excited about like stuff or mm-hmm. a brand. I don't, I don't get excited because, oh my gosh, we got this brand, no matter how great that brand is, right? What I get excited about is, is what we do for women and, and it's personal, right? Because at 26, when I was building my first company, I needed to feel 38, right? I needed to feel powerful. I needed to feel confident. And now at 46, you know, I love feeling hip, cool. I love walking in a coffee shop in Rhino, you know, and 20 year olds looking at me and going, Ooh, I want to be you. And I'm like, yes, you do because (laughs) I'm not done. Right. And that's one of my favorite things to tell women is what A-Line does is help you be not done. I don't care if you're 45, 55, 65, 75, 85. You know, we have some customers in their 80s who regularly shop with us. And, you know, obviously it's not as much as our 40s and 50s and 60s, but we do. And the thing is, is they're shopping with us because they're not done. Yeah. Don't write me off. You know, I'm just because I have white hair or gray hair or, you know, or no hair, <laughs> I'm not done. And um, I'm not, I'm not done showing up and I'm not done creating and I'm not done. I don't know what's next, but I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I did it. I wrote the book. Now I'm going to retire and fade into the sunset. I'm like, hell no. Well, I I had the same thought reading the book. She kind of gets to the end and you say, well, but what, you know, what happens (laughs) to Carmen, right? So what, what is it about or, or why now for this book? Oh, well, why now is one thing is. I think it's the perfect time to publish in this middle of 2020 in this pandemic because we all need inspiration. We all need encouragement. And it's the hero's journey. You know, it's not, nothing in this book has not been said, Mm -hmm. right? It's just my story authentically, transparently, hopefully in a semi-polished way told, right? But 
it's nothing unique, right? And so why now was just, it was done. Mm -hmm. It was ready. It was, you know, here's the timing, here's the thing. And, and now what happens with it? I have no idea. I hope more. And then it'll be interesting because I feel like, were you growing up with the choose your own adventure stories? Like I remember my books and you literally got to like go, okay, well choose your own adventure and which ending do you want? Right. And there was these fun books because they had different endings. Mm -hmm. And, and the thing is you didn't know reading it, what the ending is obviously with most, but stories, but my adventure is still living Mm -hmm. because I don't know the ending of my own story. Right. I don't know. And every day I wake up and it's like, Ooh, what could happen today? Right. And that's the fun thing. Now I have another, another like tentacle right out there. Right. Cause I've had a line and I've had Denver and I've had, I'm a mom and I have mom's groups and I have, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden I'm an author Yep. and it's like, Ooh, where's that going to go? You know? And so that's the adventure of life. And that's what I, I hope to encourage everyone, male, female, young, old. It's like, don't be done. Like, you, until you're in that grave, right? Until you're not breathing, you are here for a reason. Do something, do something with it, right? And even if that do something is pausing and, you know, petting the dog that walks next to you, right? And pausing for a second and, you know, and giving a compliment to someone on the street, right? If that's, and if that's, that's your, that's what you're doing today, that's beautiful, right? Or if it's like, you know what? You were trained and you have a great brain, create something, innovate, solve cancer. I don't care, right? But do something. Don't just take up space Mm -hmm. in this universe, right? You are here for a reason. And, um, and do something with it. And so if, if my book does nothing else but to help everyone just live a little more alive every day, it's really interesting because as you saw, I mean, I had a lot of biblical training growing up, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I was, I was, I mean, if you want to go back to the movie Save, like that was me in high school. Like I was <laughs> trying to save everybody. I mean, it really was. I thought I had figured it out and and I'm going to save you. Um but the thing is, is that, um, it's interesting because I still go back. There's a verse, it's John 10, 10. And someone asked Jesus, why did you come? And he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And it's really interesting because if you actually look, there's only, unless I'm wrong, but there's only one verse in the entire Bible where someone says, why are you here? Right. And he says, I'm here that people may have life and have it to the full. And he didn't say, Hey, you know, stay blind, stay crippled. When you get to heaven, you're going to be great. Right. No, he healed him. Mm-hmm. He healed him today. And he said, live like you have a body, you have a soul, you have breath in your lungs, live. Right. And that's, it's ironic because I feel like I have the same message. I have the same purpose in being here. I'm like, I want people to live fully alive, right? And their version and, you know, their color of being fully alive, but just be alive and live from that divine soul, beautiful spot that's in you yeah. and has been in you since you were a baby and didn't go anywhere. And so, and shed all the crap that, you know, hides all that beauty, right? And get rid of it. I don't care. Go to therapy, cry, journal, you know apologize, sit in it, but wake up and be worthy to be around because you are worthy. Right. Mm -hmm. And stop hurting people. Like, you know, it's really, it's really simple. And the other thing I just love to encourage people with, I go, imagine 
if everyone, let's just take Denver, right? Because we're here. If everyone in Denver woke up this morning and before they left their house, looked in the mirror and said, I am lovely. I am beautiful. I am full of love, right? And just paused and filled themselves up and literally almost like uh, held their soul for a second, right? Think about the difference when they're in line at a coffee shop, right? And all of a sudden they don't have to posture and they don't have to be mean and they don't have to, you know, attack because they're enough. Mm -hmm. They are just enough. And I just, I think about how that little practice, that tiny little practice, you know, if I could just get, you know, a hundred more people and a hundred more people and a thousand people just to do that every day, it would literally change the world. It would change our city. It would change our communities and our schools and everything else, because we'd be operating out of a place of I'm enough. You're enough. Now, you know, what are you about? What am I about? How can we do great together? Yeah. Totally different than I have to prove and I have to beat you down and I don't know who I am. So I'm going to flail and <laughs> everything that I did for the first 30 years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, you know, so much of it uh, from the book is just uh, sort of received generationally. And I think you see, yes. you see that those cycles kind of continue, right? Yes. And you, you mentioned in the book, you're a single mom yep. raising your daughter. Yeah. What do you do to make sure that those unproductive cycles don't go continue with the next generation? Mm. One, I don't shame her, you know, as best as I can, but I'm very conscious and intentional mm. of not shaming her. I'm also really intentional about validating that sixth sense, that gut, that emotional awareness that mm. they naturally have, right? They're the ones who are like, Ooh, are you mad or are you sad? And as adults, sometimes we want to, under the context of quote unquote, protect them, right? We go, oh, no, 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 mommy's just has something in her eye, right? <laughs> and it's like, bullshit. That's not true, right? Yeah. I am hurt right now. I am sad. I am scared, right? And so I have made it a discipline and a conscious action, right? As hard as it is to turn around and to answer her honestly, right? Now, obviously appropriate for five and six and seven. Sure. Um, and I can reassure her we're safe, but right now I am sad about this or I was hurt by this. And because of that, I'm hoping that I'm protecting her emotional IQ, right? Her emotional awareness. And I'm giving her words to it. I think it's brilliant. Someone said it really well that you, when we color, when we're kids, we have the chubby crayons, right? And we have red, blue, yellow, green, right? And it's the same thing with emotion. We had, we're sad, we're mad, we're happy, right? But literally when you graduate to that 64 box of crayons, that is aqua and charcoal and, you know, just these hues and all these colors. It's the same thing. I don't feel seen. I feel rejected. I feel, you know, discouraged. I mean, there's so much more than sad, happy, mad, sure. right? And so I am also trying to give her that vocabulary every single day of what is it that you're actually feeling? And then lastly, kind of what we talked about at the beginning, your emotion, you're connected. You know, that wasn't vocabulary that I grew up with, right? It wasn't, um, first of all, I grew up with, you know, 
you're a sinner and you're saved and you need to be happy because you're going to heaven, right? And then you need to pray and this answers are all outside of you. I mean, so right there, if you think about how I'm raising my daughter versus how I was raised, right, is I'm saying you are responsible. You do know yourself. What do you feel, right? I mean, completely different. And here are some words of feelings and none and shaming none of those words, right? Just because you feel like being in charge doesn't mean you're actually bossy. That could be leadership. It just depends on how you execute that. And so then, and then at the same time, also, I didn't grow up with this connective. I grew up this connective with God and Holy Spirit, and but I didn't grow up with this connective of everyone, even to the earth, right? And that energy coming maybe from a tree or from a sunset or from beauty, right? And definitely not any awareness or any accountability of how it's affecting people around me. And that's a huge conversation. Um, grow, not just single mother, but raising an only child, right? She doesn't have to share with siblings. She doesn't, you know, and so there's this entitlement and then she has a pretty good life. You know, I've worked yeah. really hard and we have some means. And so the reality is, is that I'm very conscious of her having some of that having be being consciously being made aware of how she's affecting people. And then the thing I haven't figured out that um is adversity, right? How do I let her have the adversity that'll make her great, right? And obviously trying to consciously not save her from all adversity, right? But at the same time as a mother, you know, you protect and you provide. And so that'll, that'll be interesting. And I'm a little afraid of the universe with that. So I'm negotiating daily (laughs) with the universe or at least begging the angels and her guardian angels to still protect her and not give her too much adversity so that she's still around and we can have many, many years together. Well, hopefully when you figure that out, it'll be in the sequel. Oh yeah. I I keep hearing that. Everyone's like, where's the next book? And I'm like, oh people, come on. No, we're just going to enjoy this for now. But you know, we'll see. I'm going to keep growing. And I do like writing. I did figure that out. I did learn the craft of writing and I, and I do, I really do honor all the writers out there. You know, it is a skill. It is a craft and it is a skill and it is worthy of learning, but it took me a good 10 years to learn it. And so, yeah, probably now that I have that skill, I'll probably keep hopefully using it. We'll see. Another 10 years, there might be another one. Terrific. (laughs) Well, Carmen, really appreciate you coming by today. This is a a fun conversation to have. Before we sign off, you know, if, if would love any advice that you have for the person, the woman that's either in circumstances that they're not enjoying or, or not loving themselves, or maybe just, you know, really thinking about that voice in their heads that's saying, I want to write or I want to start that company or whatever. I mean, what, what advice do you give to someone who's stuck? but thinks there's something better ahead. Sit and be still. I mean, that's the biggest advice is that that voice is in you. You hear it. It's just that usually our fear and our panic makes us run so fast and be so busy. And, you know, and I would just, I don't, however that is, if it's in meditation, if it's in prayer, if it's in journaling, if it's in nature, be brave enough to sit and be still because that voice is divine, right? And it is all knowing and, and it'll answer. It'll be better than any psychiatrist and any coach and any, you know, and stop searching, stop trying to get to Brene Brown or whoever you think, you know what I mean? It has the answer for you. You have the answer yourself. It doesn't mean there's not greatness, you know, to learn from people. But if you are in something and you know that's not where you should be or you know there's more to you, just get quiet 
and sit and listen and it'll come out. That's really powerful. Well, the book is Learning to Fly. Carmen Berenson, thank you so much for joining us. Anyone listening, go check out the book. (laughs) Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Michael again. Thanks for listening to this installment of What Didn't Kill You. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to share with friends, subscribe, and review. You can continue the conversation and share your own stories of what didn't kill you at whatdidn'tkillyou.com. And you can follow along at What Didn't Kill You on Instagram. I wish you great fortune, growth, and clarity as you navigate your own path. And I hope today's conversation may have contributed in some small way. See you next time.